Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Kimberly Radiker Bays with us here today, and I'm going to send everybody to your website. So go to expg.com, and I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. But really appreciate your time, Kimberly, as we talk about some multifamily investing. Thanks so much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I got to start things off. You've been doing this for seven years now. What were you doing before this? What, actually, what drove you into real estate? We're up to 11 years now. Before that, some single family time. We spent about four years in single family world before that. That's in the retirement industry. I used to design and administer 401k plans and defend benefit plans. And sure. Design all those and figure out tax strategies. So since you moved, you've done what we all aspire to do, right? Going from that single family real estate investing and move into the multifamily. How was that transition? Did you find, did you learn anything that you wished you would have known before you made that transition? Really, I think it made it a lot easier in many ways. I think the biggest thing with single family houses is that most of the time they don't really take any work until they do. And inevitably you fill up your life with other things because most of the time they don't really require any work, taking an hour a month doing some bookkeeping or whatever else until somebody's dishwasher breaks and they want their dishwasher fixed right now. And that becomes the priority of the moment. I will say it was very refreshing once we had full-time staff and people could just go and we actually had a maintenance guy that was on staff and anytime a dishwasher broke, they didn't call me. I wasn't even involved. They called the maintenance guy and he went over and fixed it right then and everybody was happy. I can believe what you're saying there too, because there is a higher level of urgency when it comes to the single family homes, isn't there? I just, I don't have a ton of multifamily, but when the, there is definitely a difference there. There can be a little bit different clientele, but then I own some class A properties lately too. And so sometimes they think things ought to be fixed even faster than your single family resident. But it is just a lot easier when you actually have a maintenance staff to take care of whatever needs to be taken care of instead of having to roll down your list of, of vendors that you could call or even if you have a maintenance guy that's spread all over town over several different houses. I never got quite big enough on the single family side to have somebody full time. So it was always figuring out the vendor and who had time and if you could get them out quickly enough and that sort of thing. So always a little bit of a fire drill. And so don't miss that part of the single families. One of the things that I think is fascinating about your story is the fact that you've, you started off with a very small group of individuals at first, but in a, it's been slow and not well, slow a, and steady, but you're now in the Inc 5,000 fastest growing companies and you're, You've exceeded 170 employees. You probably even higher at this point. How did you manage going through that process of scaling? A lot of it really truly was just putting one foot in front of the other. So 1031 from the first property into the second property while we still held that second one, bought a third one, which was even larger. And just as we've cycled through the investor capital, we're able to buy a little bit more in each round, hold on it a little bit more. We were very, very blessed kind of portfolio. I just started looking at that in 2017 and had hundreds of hours between me and my team into analyzing this portfolio. And we're really interested in going after it. And about a week before call for offers, they pulled it from the market because there was a threat of a tax change. Um, I guess they were held in a corporation because it was a Canadian ownership. And so they actually got pulled 
from the market. And we're like, oh, shoot, now what? We'd already agreed to sell some properties in order to raise the equity and those sorts of pieces. And so found some good properties yet that year. And then that portfolio came back around in 2018. And we went strong after it at that point in time. And so that was a big growth phase for us. That's really what took us from that 2,500 units closer to 5,000 was buying that single portfolio. So that was definitely a big piece of it. That situation, did you take that property down on your own or did you get other investors involved? Oh, we have a large syndicated group of investors. There were individual investors in that portfolio. Sure. With all that being said, you keep saying that you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're figuring it out as you go, which is saying quite a lot because in our world, there seems to be a lot of this paralysis and people not really actually taking that that initial action. Is that something that you've fostered as a natural mindset or is that something that you've had to feed yourself or establish yourself? No, I think fortunate to have a background. And so I really added the numbers of it. I understood what was good about it, what was going to go well and what might not. I had a little bit of that single family renovation experience. So I knew what materials were good, what things weren't, how we wanted to put that together. But I think really the analysis paralysis is a huge, huge risk in this business. And I guess I'm very fortunate that I'm somebody that I need enough information. But once I get enough information, to make a reasonably well-educated decision, I am willing to pull the trigger. And I think that it's a good blend. And I have some others on my team that really help drive us forward that are the ones that might make the decision with less than half the information that I want on it. And then we have some others that are going to research the last detail of it and probably would never, ever pull the trigger on their own. And it takes me actually saying, yes, we're doing this. And then they warm up to the idea and get on board and, and move forward. So I think that there's definitely a blend. And as you're building your team in this business, I think that's really important. If, you, if you're somebody that's going to get stuck paralysis, find a partner that's going to nudge you forward. If you're somebody that's really, hey, I saw this property and I really like it and let's buy it. Find somebody that's great at the numbers, that's going to slow you down, that's going to ask the right questions and look at the right things to make sure you've got enough information to make an educated decision. Another aspect that I'd be interested in is that you said you started off essentially as a financial planner. You went to the single family homes. You were probably up until this point, like a one person show. You did most of this. And now you've, you're a leader of a very large company. How did you find handing things off and letting certain things go? Right. And relying on a team. It's hard to let things go sometimes. I think that's probably a struggle. And the easiest thing for me, I've benefited from having several people that I've had join my team that are probably a lot like me in that way that kind of do handle everything and are good at keeping a lot of balls in the air. And so that really helps me engage and trust in them. So really the next step now that I'm dealing with is taking that um, I'm horrible at managing. Uh, that, that's not my thing. I can lead the people and set a general trajectory and help and support and whatever else, but it's much more of a coaching style. I'm really bad at, at managing the people that require ultimate mic micromanagement. Did you do this yesterday? Are you sure you remember to tie your shoes? That's just not who I am. And so I've been very fortunate to find a team of people that are very diligent, stay on top of their stuff. Once they say they have it, I know that they actually do. And so really the stage of the game that I'm at now is getting that, that next level that have helped me really grow this business, getting them comfortable with handing off to now their number twos and rolling down some of those pieces so that we can continue to grow and keep the core group together growing all alongside one another as we get bigger. Yeah, no, that I appreciate you sharing that. And it's, do you find that it was hard to admit that you just said you're not a good manager, but it obviously sounds like you've a natural leader in this situation. And as long as it, I find that more successful companies, especially when it comes to real estate and scaling, 
as long as you really define your your target or what you're shooting for that everybody can rally behind and believe in it it takes care of itself to a certain extent i think that's very true you just have to be really picky with who you hire make sure that they're the right people that are going to make the decisions that you would want made and so really the only place that you run into any trouble with that at all is just as you get down to literally day-to-day property management which is one of the arms of our business you do have to there's times when just based on the volume of people that it takes to run a property and some of the newer people of the workforce and different different pieces of that, that sometimes there is a little bit more need for oversight and accountability at a more detailed level than what I would typically provide. So it's, it's important to find the right people for those seats as well. Sure. Well, I know there's a lot of people that are going to be listening to this episode who are, to be honest, I think a lot of people tune in, to, they're thinking about getting into real estate investing. They find they they actually start to realize that it's actually quite a bit of work and they just want to be involved in real estate investing. Thankfully, a company such as yours that does syndications in multifamily, I'm sure you have quite a few pieces of insight you can share on what type of questions they should be asking a syndicator and what what they should be looking for and making sure it's a good fit. Sure, absolutely. I think it's important to obviously look at the experience of the syndicator. Although if you find really the right person, that's your biggest bargain that ever could be. Like I, the people that invested with me on the very first deal and they got to do it pretty much for free, I think got a pretty fantastic ride and a pretty good deal out of the deal. But I think it's important to ask those questions. It's important to know what the general goals are and make sure that you're aligned with those. I remember years ago, an investor was talking to me about whether they wanted to invest with us or another group that was in the same investment group as us. And I said, really, I think you need to figure out what type of investment it is that at least in that particular instance, we were doing some pretty heavy value add type plays with the primary focus being an of future net worth. And the other group just had a different focus. They were also very good, very diligent and everything else. We're close friends with them, but their focus was very much on what is my current cash flow. And I said, in that particular instance, you're trying to like two people, but you're trying to decide between an apple and an orange. And you need to decide if you want an apple or if you want an orange and what's most appropriate to get you to the goals that you have. Sure. So break down your strategy then. You're buying these properties. Are they existing properties or are you building new? But it, Historically, it's all been existing properties, though we did have one that had one phase of it that was literally down to the studs with half of the copper missing and other things. You could actually walk from one, in one of the buildings to the other without ever opening a door. We've done some heavier value and we are starting to do some development. We've got our first development project that's currently working on some horizontal and we'll be going vertical on that in, in the fall. But that kind of is the newer piece of it. Definitely, historically, most of our stuff has been all existing properties. And some of those have, like I said, have been huge heavy lift in terms of physical value add, whereas others are much more management play. There's a lot of property owners that manage entirely for occupancy. And in a market like we've seen the past several years where rents have really been rapidly increasing, you can oftentimes find a, an opportunity, really, where the rents are just so far below market that a lot of what you're doing in order to really add value to the property is bringing rents to market. Certainly, there could be an interior renovation component to that or some exterior renovation or whatever it happens to be based on that. But there's a, definitely a lot of management play that can happen as well. Sure. So what are the size of properties are you typically going for? I'm guessing they're relatively sizable. So the smallest was the first one. Since then, the smallest has been about 121 units. And uh, we've had three of them that were just over 650. So 
mostly larger, kind of averaging in that three to 400 range on average, but it's run the whole gamut in between. And do you stick in a certain part of the country or are you spread out a, a bit? We've always focused in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex and then they moved into the last year. Definitely heavily focused in Texas. We'll probably round out the Texas Triangle with some Austin-San Antonio assets at the extent that we're able to find things that really make sense. But we've stayed focused here. There's a lot of things to like about Texas just in terms of population growth, how the cities have developed. There's landlord-friendly laws here, so you don't have a six-month process if you have to evict someone for non-payment. So there's, there's a lot of things that we really like about Texas. We continue to evaluate other states as well, but so far just staying here at home and it also having the closer logistics, even with Houston, kind of everything within four hours has really helped as far as our logistics pieces of it as well. Sure. So do you do all the management or are you just mo primarily a real estate holdings type company? Um, so we also own the management company. We own the construction company that does the interior renovations on our properties. Years ago, when we were starting the second property, it had it was only 50% occupied. It was going to need 200,000 square feet of flooring. And so we started importing vinyl plank and several other things. So we started as a materials import business, started selling to some of our friends as well. That's now really blossomed full logistic company. So Poppage, a lot of it that's imported. We also have distributorships with GE and Frigidaire. So we can help accommodate more of our supply chain issues on some of the renovations due to COVID. There were a lot of supply chain issues. And for the most part, we were able to keep most of our appliances in stock. There was, there was a time when we didn't have any refrigerators and sometimes it's a little cyclical and sometimes the warehouse is down to almost nothing. And then the next day you walk through there and three full of appliances and to be had. So I think that's really helped our business too, is getting those direct distributorships. So then we can, we also supply other business, other companies that are in the multifamily space as well. Yeah, that's an interesting niche and it, and it's really taken off for you. That's great to hear. I, in fact, I haven't run into anybody who's really doing that. It's not for the faint of part. I would say the same as property management, most likely. There's a lot of companies that do importing. And the import of itself is not, is not the end of the world. It got a little more challenging when some of the tariffs went in. So we had to re-look at a lot of our suppliers as far as the overseas pieces and move some places, some things out of China and other countries that could supply things at a better price point at that point. But the, just the logistics piece of it, the amount of space that it takes and the labor that it takes to manage all of that is is big. But the savings on it is just absolutely huge because we're able to kit all of these things in our boxes so that whether it be one of our managers, one of our customers' managers calls in and says, hey, I've got an A1 that's vac vacating tomorrow. We already know exactly what goes into that renovation kit. So it all comes out in one box. And the dollars that you save by not having your guys walking back and forth across property all day or running to Home Depot over and over again is really significant. That's interesting. So how do you source your properties? Are you getting them off the MLS, off broker relationships, direct from sellers? How does that look? Very heavily from broker relationships, occasionally direct from sellers. But for the most part, broker relationships, either they put it off their time, they're not marketed. They are networking with the same, with another group of owners and hear about somebody that wants to sell something, wants a quicker, easier transaction without upsetting the staff and upsetting the apple cart, really having 50 tours over the course of a three to four week marketing process. So we've definitely gotten some that way as well. And those can bring for some good deals. And then sometimes too, when you have a seller that or, that you've worked with previously, so somebody that we've bought from before, there's been sometimes when we can get some direct opportunities. Hey, that transaction went really smoothly. Do you have anything else that you're looking at? And kind of vice versa. And a lot of those really other operators in the area. Sure. Okay. Here's some pretty direct questions. So can you give me an example of, of a situation went south? It wasn't a, it turned out into a bad investment or a bad 
opportunity and what lesson you learned from it? I haven't had any that actually went bad overall, but I've definitely had some that had more challenges than we sometimes hope. I guess I had one property at one point in time that we bought it marked way below market rents. Nothing had been renovated, hadn't been managed well. And so we started doing our renovations. We were really blowing and going on the renovation and pushing as hard as we could there, but got a turnover in the manager. We do self-manage, but obviously the on-site staff is hugely important in the success of a property and had a turnover of a manager and then just had a difficult time leasing back up after that renovation. And so really it took iterations through finding truly the right manager. So we sat at mid 60s to almost 70% occupancy for quite some time. It was still cash flowing. It was very, it was nice. It was years ago when it was a little bit simpler. We had a nice fixed rate loan on it. And so that made life a lot easier than what it might be today. So those are things that we definitely watch for. So I guess that was the big lesson learned is pushing more gradually a little bit when you get some of those properties that are substantially below market. I usually try to, even though we know that they should be three, $400 up above where they are right now, found a new method of transitioning those things in from that lesson years ago. So everything turned out well, very well. We got fantastic returns on it, but there were definitely a few sleepless nights there when it was sitting in the high 70s or high 60s and low 70s percent for several months, just trying to really get the right traction. And then once we got the right team in the office, it was back up above 90 within about a month and a half and never looked back, stayed really stabilized for about a year and a piece. And then we sold it after that point. Yeah, that's good. But give me a, give me an example. What was your biggest home run? The biggest home run was actually a property we sold just over four years ago. So that one, we were actually a little bit nervous about it in terms of submarket. It turned out to actually be a really great submarket. We just had to push the submarket ourselves. So oftentimes we're looking for a situation in which We've got the laggard in the group and that whole little pocket was lagging the entire area around it. And so I think that was one of the things that was a little bit daunting about that. It was also the only, the first loan assumption that we ever did. So it required a little bit more equity down up front, a little more creative ways to do that. And so it was actually with some talk, talks with a broker that we knew and also with some other owners in the space that had encountered these loan acquisitions previously. So created a new share class that's just been income only share class that helps bridge the gap at the returns for people that are really campaign focused, but gives a much more secure, just cash flow baseline for the people that are looking for that. So a nice hybrid piece to it, but that that property really we we projected rents and we ended up getting hundreds of dollars more per door per month really than what we ever projected. That was definitely the unicorn. Sure. With what you know now, you started off with single family homes. And you're a multifamily, would you still follow that same trajectory or would you have taken a different path? I think I'd still follow that trajectory for the most part. If you can skip the single family step, great. But if you're going to do that, you need to understand the pieces of the business. I do love that we grew it from the beginning. So didn't walk into a huge property with a huge staff with kind of everything handled. So I like the fact that even though I'm not involved in any of those pieces day to day anymore, I do know all of my fair housing laws. I know how to fill out a lease. I have been to court before on an eviction, know what things are doing, can do some of the sales pieces, have done all of the accounting pieces, have done various compliance pieces and the acquisitions pieces and all of those parts. And so I think one of the things that I really love about the way that I came into this business is I got to learn it a little bit slowly over time to the point where now I really have a handle on the whole thing, which I think if I had come in from a more corporate investment, larger investment banking or whatever, I'd probably know one side of the business very well, but be a lot less comfortable in other pieces of it. It worked well for me, but it definitely is not a route for everybody. And you got to be willing to starve for quite a few years before 
before it all comes around. And if you're somebody that's starting a syndication first for the first time, let's say they they're attempting or they'd like to do a syndication on their own, what is the one thing you wished you would have known before you started that process? I don't know that it's so much wish I would have known exactly, but the thing that I always share with people is to really do a gut check. I don't know that I did this. I, I think over time I realized how important this was, and I was fortunate to be in a place where the gut check worked for me. But it is incredibly important to understand like the fiduciary responsibility of taking other people's money and investing it. And so you have to be able to take that really seriously and understand the importance and gravity of it. But without letting that kind of paralyze you into analysis paralysis or just paralyze you in general, you still need to sleep at night or you're not going to function at your best. So I think that's the big thing is really gauge how much can you do? How much can you take on in terms of a syndication? Make sure that your heart's kind of really in it and you understand the benefit and the seriousness and also the benefit. That's a huge piece of it too. The one of the greatest things about syndicating is you can really make a difference in other people's lives. So hearing some of the stories from my investors, kids that got to go to college debt-free and those sorts of things is it's a big piece of the why, but you got to make sure your why is right and that you also kind of are mentally prepared for the stress that sometimes causes. Yeah, we, I've talked about that a number of times. The concept that for as humans, we typically will respond to to fear or something impactful like that, unless you are able to identify and define your why to a level that it forces you to take some sort of action. So that that's good to hear. I got to put, this is a strange part of the conversation because I find that as a podcast host, frankly, I have very few women that come on the show. And I find that's likely the case just in real estate in general. Like, why do you think that is, if you don't mind me asking? And what can we do to maybe help encourage more women in this, in investing? So it's interesting. I joined National Multi Housing Council, so NMHC, years ago. It's a big organization in the multifamily industry. And I think the first time I ever went to one of those conferences, I would be shocked if it was 1% women. I think by the last one I went to, it's probably closer to about 10. But I agree with you. There, There's definitely, I think... I think some of it is probably the analysis process. I think it's also just understanding to take the steps and get started in it. I think, honestly, there's some huge advantages to women entering this industry, especially on the smaller scale and starting it from the beginning in that it is single family homes, especially getting a handful of single family rentals is something you can very much do on the part time on the side, even alongside kids and those sorts of things. My my kids got dragged into a lot of really crazy houses when they were like in, in the little carriers. Now they're really big. So they're. 15 now, but that's, so that's changed a lot, but I think that's a good way to enter. But I think there is also a big piece of this game that if you start growing it kind of the way that this has grown, and it was never quite my goal to, to get to where I am. It just was more organically grown. And what can we make is the next best decision for where, you know, where to go tomorrow or at the fork in the road, where do we want to go? But it definitely a very labor intensive kind of all-consuming thing, particularly if you've got all of the different support businesses and if you're really checking all the things that you can check. But I know some fantastic women in the industry, and I think it's I think it's cool, too. One of the things that I've always told people about being in the industry, if there's women that I meet that are a little bit timid about some of these bigger conferences or whatever else, and is there a glass ceiling in real estate? And really the point that I always made was, look, if you're at a conference where it's 90% guys in blue suits and 10% women, even at the highest percentage that I've seen in my career at those conferences, the 90% of the guys in blue suits would much rather hear what you have to say if you can come up with something interesting to say than sit there and talk to one another all day like they're used to doing. I think 
while it's a more challenging thing, you have to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. I think it's also a huge opportunity to find your voice and really say things. And I always find that the guys that have been in the jet, a generation older that have been in the business a long time that perhaps have kids that are just graduating from college or daughters that are a few years out of college or whatever else are always the ones that are really intrigued by what by that and how to get their daughters on that kind of a- so well i really appreciate your time here today this was this has been a great conversation again i'm going to direct everybody to xppg.com for more information about what you and your team are doing and i know we touched a little bit on are doing the products and stuff that you've been doing for other investors i'm guessing closer to your area is that that existmultifamily.com? Existmultifamily.com is the website for that. And look at material sourcing and also some brand, graphics and branding pieces to it. And so while we do primarily service Texas, we are able to ship nationwide. And one of the advantages to that is there's not sales tax because we are only located in Texas. So we do not have to collect sales tax when we ship um, to other states. Oftentimes the shipping costs can be mitigated a little bit by some sales tax arbitrage. Yeah. And that's actually pretty good to know because where I'm located, the sales tax can kill you pretty quickly on certain things. So that's especially important to make note. I got a a couple of rapid fire questions for you here. And as we finish things, what if you could go back in time when you're first getting into real estate investing, what is one piece of advice you would give yourself? Try to find a balance between work and personal life a little sooner than I got around to. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, there must be a story associated with that. Oh, there's, there, it's an ongoing process, but uh, it's just, it, like I said, it can be all consuming as much as you let it be. Yeah. It's amazing how we as, is, is a good thing. It's amazing how we as entrepreneurs or investors, we've, we, we get into this in order to hopefully gain back time. That's, we all talk about the money and everything, but in the end, in a nutshell, we're always trying to earn back time. but more times than not, we we really go down this rabbit hole and the next thing you know, we're putting in more time and effort than we ever planned to. And then to try to dial that back hard. Very true. What was, if I'm going to say, it's like the song remains the, or it's like a stairway to heaven in when it comes to real estate investing books. Like, So you're not allowed to say rich dad, poor dad. What is one book you would recommend somebody read? Yeah, that was my first one that I read, but it started this whole thing. Uh, I think while it's not a real estate book at all, one of my favorite books business-wise is Leadership and Self-Deception. Uh, I think it is a huge, huge value to read that and really get that in your own life, share it with your teams. Because so often when you have personal conflicts for yourself or personal conflicts in your business, there's something in there that is some truth that can help. So really, if you can get everybody to understand that all of each other are human, that we're all living in the same human condition and none of us is perfect, pieces that really fit through that lens and try to be self-aware when we're trying to cure our own ails as opposed to really attacking somebody else. I think that's a huge benefit. What was the last book you read and would you recommend it? Uh, the last book I read is actually Who Not How? by Dan Sullivan. And I think Benjamin Hardy was the co-author on that and definitely would recommend that. A huge piece that I've got some of my leadership team reading right now. It's good good for me to read as well. And it's really about finding the network of people that any task that you need done or any idea that you have, it's very often that there is somebody out there just waiting in the world that has the perfect skill set and the right ambition and attention and 
background to be able to execute that really well. And we can get, we can lose all of leaders if we try to figure out how we're going to do that and researching from the ground up about what we're going to do. It's easy to, one of the examples they use in the web, in the book is the website. Business owner decides he's going to figure out how to build himself a website without, whereas he could very easily outsource that for a much more reasonable cost than what he thought it would be in terms of the time that he spent and just kind of all of those pieces. So finding, making sure that you're spending your time and attention on the things that you can do better than anybody else and can really make the most impact with and partnering with those other people because then you're really creating an interdependency that's a really healthy thing for both parties. That just struck me as a reminder of something like with gas prices and everything that have been going up and a few other things. I had to stop for a minute because I would run to a multifamily that we have about an hour away. But with gas prices and a few other things, it's now at the point, there's this tipping point where it's actually better for me to call the local handyman over there to take care of it versus just to reassess some of those numbers. For sure. I, again, this has been a great conversation, but before I let you go, is there a question or concept you wished we would have covered here today? I don't think so. I think we've had a really good conversation. It's hit some cool topics that, that oftentimes don't. I appreciate this. You're welcome back, Kimberly. I hope you'll take me up on that. And, but again, I'll send everybody to your website and I'm going to have to flip my page over to expg.com. And I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. So if you're on your podcasting app, make sure you swipe right and I'll make it a very easy clickable link there for you. So really appreciate it. And I hope we get to talk again sometime. Sounds great. Thanks so much. It's been a great conversation. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing, If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.